thanks for downloading this BGSM podcast on Women in Sport. My name is Liam West. I'm a sports physician based in Melbourne, but I'm lucky to be joined on the podcast today by Dr. Rachel Harris. Dr. Harris is an Olympic swimmer who since retiring from sport has become a sport and exercise physician. She's now based in Perth. She's the project leader for the AIS Female Performance and Health Initiative and is also the CMO for Paralympics Australia which is a pretty fantastic CV, a plus money, other things. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the podcast, Rachel. Thanks for having me, Liam. It's great to be here. So I mentioned it there in the intro, but can you shine a light on the AIS Female Performance and Health Initiative for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So back in October of 2019, the AIS was getting, oh, actually prior to that, the AIS was getting, getting lots of questions and requests for um, from national sporting organisations and institute networks about where they can go to for, I guess, up-to-date and accurate evidence-based information regarding their female athletes, how health-specific considerations, but also how they might impact performance in the long term Um, and the AIS didn't really have anything specific to those things so um, Ali Campbell worked really hard to try and get this project in the beginning of the ground um, where we had a six-month project looking specifically at menstrual cycle and hormonal contraception Um, and we had a whole lot of people um, from the system that absolutely were eating it up the appetite was huge and fortunately we got an extension um, of our funding and also an expansion of the topic areas that we were covering so that we We've now got this um, yeah, ongoing um, female performance and health initiative where our three main pillars of um, what we're doing are really around education and resource development, trying to um, target leadership and engagement with the wider system, including pro sports, um, Olympic, Paralympic, Commonwealth Games sports, and also the wider academic and research institution as well. Um, and then also surrounding research and best practice. So those three key pillars really help to guide us what we're doing in this space. Um, I think one of the really big and key pieces is that whilst we think our elite athletes know all that they need to know about their bodies and they're really in tune with them, some great research that came out of Griffith University really highlighted how little our elite athletes know about their um, health-specific information. So I think it was 16% of 189 elite athletes that were surveyed knew what that estrogen and progesterone were, the female-specific hormones. Um, So if we think about that as being the elite cohort, we know that the trickle-down effect for that is that probably those people at the um, pathways level and those athletes that are working their way up through that elite space are likely to know even less. So we really wanted to try and create some resources. Um, We've created some infographics, fact sheets, and also more recently, some really wonderful education modules to help facilitate that basics of health education, improve health literacy, not just for our athletes, but also for people within the system so that we can actually yeah, change the conversation, improve the basics. Um, We know that if we improve those basics and people understand what is normal and what is not, then we might get people asking help sooner so that they're not injured and unwell because of, um, you know, it's just that they don't even really know that they have. Um, And also to help our um, coaches, which we know 90% of them are usually male, um, help them to understand what some of the issues facing our female athletes are and take them seriously. So that's one piece. We've also got a bit of a research agenda um, that we're really working on because we know that there are so many gaps in research, um, particularly around female athletes, uh, and really also just trying to work together as a system. So to collaborate, to um, work together with so many great people that are doing great stuff in this space, 
but also to amplify the great work that people have done as well. As we know, um, you know, I guess that translation of research to actually getting out to clinicians and being in the real world often takes a really long time. And we really just need to work so that it's getting back to the athletes that need it. So I think that's probably about a 30-second summary. I hope that kind of does it, but um, that's the piece. Um, I work on the project two days a week um, and we've got a couple of other key people that we bring in for um, helping us create all of those projects as well. Yeah, it's a fantastic project. With I have utilised a lot of the content myself. Um, I think it's really good in a in sort of that pre-season space where we often do medical screening. Not only should we be asking questions, but it's a great opportunity to educate our athletes. So if, if the listener would like to also utilise, can you just explain where they might go to access that content? Yeah, so the AIS um, FPHI. So if you just put that into Google, AIS FPHI, and you'll come up with a web page. That web page has got all of the um, education resources. There's a page there, open access, free online education modules. So you don't have to sign up. You don't have to do anything. You can just click on them. Most of them take about 15 minutes um, and we'll take you through it. There are 14 currently up there. Um, there are 10 or 11, I think, for athletes and then one for medical practitioners if they want to upskill um, and then also one for coaches as well. So just some considerations for them specifically. But all of the education modules are relevant for everyone and we've certainly found that there's lots of parents out there that have found them really useful in terms of, um, you know, upskilling for when their teenage daughters are going through things as well and even learning things for themselves. So, um, yeah, topics include things such as pelvic floor, breast health, normal menstrual cycle, abnormal menstrual cycle, different types of hormonal contraception, bone health, low energy availability. So there's heaps and heaps of them on there and we're continuing to expand them. Yeah, I found them really useful. So let's maybe dip into some of those learning points. Many of our listeners will actually be unaware of the important roles that they can play in better supporting women and girls to be involved in sport or even just physical activity throughout their lifetimes. Can you give us some of the top tips from the Australian Institute of Sports Work and care is to consider? Yeah, look, I definitely think that education piece and, and health, basic health literacy is a really key one. Um, we absolutely know that there are um, girls and, and women indeed that drop out of sport because they've got breast pain or they've got, you know, significant urinary incontinence. Um, we absolutely know that things like heavy menstrual bleeding means that women um, and girls drop out of sport through, due to embarrassment or just not knowing how to control and not knowing where to get help. So understanding what is normal and what is not normal is certainly a really big piece um, so surrounding that. Um, I guess other things that we really need to ensure is that we've got um, environments that are welcoming for our athletes as well. Uh, you know, traditionally, I suppose, sporting facilities have been set up for um, males, and we particularly know that, I suppose, in, you know, the, the AFL world where um, we've only really recently got um, supported professional teams. So things like change rooms, facilities for parents coming back, and it's not just for our, um, you know, women that are mothers but also for fathers as well to have rooms that they can you know feed kids or change kids and do that so having those welcoming facilities that people actually feel welcome um, and it's not just um, about you know gender it's also about things like inclusivity making sure that your facilities are accessible for um, you know athletes with impairments as well so making everything welcoming so that we can encourage more people to be involved in it um, I think uh, the other bit that is, you know, really key is that we need to start moving towards um, making sure that those environments, not just 
um, uh, inclusive in terms of the physical being, but also things like uniform. Um, you know, up until recently, there has never been a female-specific cricket shoe. Um, ASICS works with Cricket Australia to develop one, and that's game-changing, you know, for athletes to have things like equipment that actually fits their foot. Um, you know, the, the different things about uniform, you know, having clothing that actually fits, not just putting on a small men's uniform um, for your sporting team, um, even just considerations around colour. There's lots and lots of um, young girls that actually don't enter certain sporting organisations or sporting fields because they're worried about things like uniform colour and, and you know, getting their period um, where they're wearing a pair of white pants or a white skirt or something like that as well. So just um, we really need to just start thinking about this from a different perspective. So what can we actually do to help facilitate our athletes be the best that they possibly can? Is it equipment? Is it uniform? Um, but we really need to be listening to our athletes as to what those things are as well. So taking that feedback from the people that are on the ground, not just sitting up here in our, um, you know, high echelons thinking we know what's going on. Um, and that's something that we've really worked hard on at the FPHI to make sure that we're getting that feedback from an athlete reference group and also that um, people that are embedded within the systems too. And I think it's important for the listener, it's not just the medical people that are listening that can change. Uh, my mum and dad set up a football club actually when we were younger and one of the things that just didn't come simply to them and then was pointed out was, well, where do the girls go to the toilet here? There's no female changing rooms at this facility that you're, you're, you're building and things like that. So it's not necessarily just doctors or physios. It, it might be the coach or the parent that's listening and needs to think about things just a little bit more to engage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think um, our environments have been traditionally quite gendered. You know, what works well for, um, uh, you know, young girls and women, how do they feel comfortable coming into a club? Is it, you know, huge big models, that, uh, mottos on top of the club that say this or is it, a, a you know, a more calming environment? I don't know. We need to listen to um, what our athletes actually want and what encourages them to come come down to the club. We don't want them to feel um, to feel like they're not welcome just because that environment has um, been set up traditionally. Um, we're just really all about wanting to keep our women and girls active throughout their sporting career, irrespective of their age piece. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Everyone has a role to play in this piece. And I think, um, you know, if anyone going and having a look at some of these education modules, it can really make you think, hey, what, what could we be doing down at, our, down at our club or down at our facility to make things more accessible and more welcoming? Therefore, you're probably going to get more members um, and you're going to have, you know, more um, connectivity to the greater community as well. Yeah, I think you touched on it there. We, we, I guess we started here trying to really begin conversations for the listeners. This is this is the beginning. This is not all of the answers on this podcast, but we tried to get talk about important roles to get people into sport, but I guess there's sustaining sports participation and, and um, for our women and girls and able-bodied and, and para-sport athletes, um, you've got to look at that across all stages of life. How do you see or can you give tips or experiences about that for us? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, again, making the environment that you've got your sport in welcoming. So, again, is it about uniform? Is it about equipment? Um, is it about the facilities, you know, having um, access ramps for if you've got athletes um, with impairments or even if you've just got, um, you know, family members, we should be making all of those environments welcoming for them um, so that people do come down and don't drop out. Um, I think understanding that uh, we can be involved in sport throughout our entire um, lives, you know, just having, um, deciding to have a child doesn't mean that you necessarily need to be said, okay, your career's over, but um, trying to understand and make changes as to 
how can we embrace these athletes to be able to continue to facilitate their sporting careers but allow them to go on and do things like have, you know, have kids or um, consider having kids or talk to them about fertility options, um, normalising conversations. I think the whole piece around adolescence, body image, body changes, we need to really be doing that very differently. You know, there's so much difficulty um, as um, athletes either go through puberty or, you know, if it's an athlete, a para-athlete that's gone through through a transition of injury, we really need to be supporting them in those those periods of change. So um, a lot of the time it is really about education for them to understand that they are welcome, you know, irrespective of what's happened to them, Um, keeping them you know, engaged and having having people like there's lots of pathways managers for a lot of our para para sports as well. But sometimes it is, you know, a little bit tricky to understand that you can be involved in sports if you don't see people being involved in those sports as well. So if you've never seen, you know, a, an athlete with um, a prosthesis playing footy down at your footy club or, or down, you know, rowing at your rowing club, you're probably not going to think that you can ever do that either. So I think having more of our athletes included in what we're doing, so seeing mums come back to sport after having babies or, you know, seeing carers down at the footy club um, helping with baby feeding whilst mum goes out and plays, Um, having those facilities and welcome facilities, um, you know, ensuring that we're inclusive in absolutely every respect of the way, um, if it's, you know, due to cultural barriers or, you know, got rooms for people to be able to go and, you know, do their daily prayers or um, anything like that. We need to be considering all of those things to keep people involved. I think sometimes uniform and equipment is a really big piece. Um, You know, if we don't have uniform that does... um, allow people to continue being culturally sensitive for themselves. Um, that also means people might drop out of sports as well. So there's so many considerations. Um, but I think really the big piece is that there's so much to be gained out of sport. Um, you know, it's such a great leveller. It's also such a great um, vehicle for unit, unity, inclusivity, diversity, that we really need to make sure that um, we are embracing everybody to continue through their life's journey because exercise is just so important in so many aspects of our life and being involved in a sport is just such a a great vehicle for um, that health throughout your life's journey as well. Thanks for that, Rachel. You've had a really central and I guess extensive experience in parasport. I can't really let you get off the line without utilising that. Um, How would you suggest to the listener who's keen to follow in your footsteps or others like you that they might be able to get involved in parasport? Yeah, I think have a go. Um, I didn't think that I was capable of, um, I I guess I just didn't think I had the um, capacity or the experience to be working in Parasport when I first started, but um, someone believed in me, I suppose. So Larry Treese, who many of our listeners might know about, um, you know, said, oh, I think you'd be great at this. And I was like, really? I don't know if I've, you know, done enough. Um, But I think we've all actually, you know, got lots of clinical experience, no matter what our background is. Most of us have either been through hospital systems or through great university programs, we do have the background knowledge. Our the the, the patient um, or athlete in front of us really is a person. We can certainly learn um, some of the things about those athletes or patients in front of us as we go along. We've all done that as clinicians, um, and it's really just about having a go. Our para athletes are such an incredible and amazing and inspiring group of people that have been through so much um, adversity. I think the um, Paralympic movement. Um, you know, around the world is just such a great vehicle for, again, independence for our para-athletes where um, previously they may have felt quite marginalised or isolated Um, and seeing some of our athletes, you know, develop in their 
um, independence through their sporting journey is just so, um, I think, so powerful and so incredible. It's such a rewarding role to be in. Um, so, yeah, I've been in my role at Paralympics Australia since um, 2019. I didn't get to go to the um, Tokyo Games just because I was going to be away for three months and I had a um, two-year-old at the time, so I would have um, that just didn't quite work out, but I was able to play an Australian-based role as the Chief Medical Officer, um, which was just an amazing experience and have been travelling with a lot of para-athletes um, since that time. So, um, um, it's so rewarding. There's so many great people. Um, you know, the people in the organisations are great um, to be involved in. I just encourage absolutely anyone and everybody to be involved um, in it. It's just such a, um, a fantastic group to be involved in. You learn so much about yourself, but really uh, just about the resilience and adaptability of people um, because our athletes are just, uh, those athletes are just an amazing group. Very inspiring. Um, look, let, let, let's finally touch on um, the Women's Sport Congress where you're a project lead. Um, it's going to take place in Melbourne uh, this year, 2022, 17th to the 19th of August. Can you give us an oversight of this event for our listeners? Whet the appetite? Yeah, absolutely. So as part of our AIS Female Performance and Health Initiative, we've got together a group of really wonderful researchers from around Australia that have helped us to develop a bit of a research agenda and help to understand what the gaps in research are um, in the female athlete space. Um, through that research group, we really kept talking about the fact that it would be wonderful to have uh, a conference or a congress at some time in Australia, particularly highlighting all of the fabulous research that happens and really help to build the momentum in this space as well. So we finally um, have got together this year. So we're, AIS is partnering with La Trobe Uni this year to host the Women in Sport Congress down in Melbourne. Um, we've got um, six different themes around leadership and diversity, performance, menstrual cycle, um, uh, now you're testing me, um, inclusion of all athletes, so athletes of all abilities. Um, and it really is a highlight of research, but also um, clinicians, so some case studies. We've got a really great group of abstracts that are in at the present time. Um, so for those three days, there's some research mentoring that's going to happen at our welcome drinks as well. So it'll be a really great highlight of things that are happening in this space. Um, we're going to have it every second year. Um, so we'll be involved with a different university in 2024, but it should be just a really great group. Um, it's not just for women either. I think I'd love to highlight that um, just because it's about women in sport. We absolutely love any researchers or clinicians um, or anyone involved in sport of any gender to come on down um, because it is such an important topic. Um, there is also a day of workshops on the 20th at La Trobe Uni for clinicians, um, and that will really be highlighting a whole lot of, uh, I guess, clinician-focused areas, things like doping considerations for female athletes. Um, we've got someone talking on fertility. We've got other um, workshops on. So the AIS are doing a train-the-trainer around menstrual cycle and hormonal contraception um, I guess, a presentation delivery. So we've got so many different things, some fabulous keynote speakers, um, including Kate Ackerman coming out from Boston, um, Louise Burke, Kate Crosley, Claire Minahan, um, Kate Henney. Um, there's heaps and heaps. It'll be a great event, lots of um, great learnings and also just a great area to network in as well. Wow. Sounds like a pretty good conference. Um, look, Rachel, thank you for coming on to the podcast. You are uh, a very inspiring person and I think you've talked about some pretty inspiring and really important projects and thank you very much for sharing those with the listener. 
No worries at all, Liam. Thanks for having me and look forward to seeing you all in August. Thank you very much to you, the listener, for choosing to spend your time with us on this podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and it's going to spark some conversations. Please head to the Women in Sport Congress website, which I'll put the link to in the show notes to find out more about that event and engage further with the BGSM via our various social media platforms. I hope you get to have a physically active day. Hey.